Hey everyone, this is Jen. Welcome back to the All Things Jen podcast. I'm Jennifer DeAngelis, your host, and I talk about a slew of subjects on this podcast, everything from entrepreneurship to health and fitness and manifestation, all that good stuff. So if you're new here, welcome. And if you're returning listener, what's up? Always great to have you guys. So today I'm going to talk about a health journey that I went on that I expressed via YouTube, but I haven't really talked about on my other platforms, but I thought that the podcasting format could be helpful and really this is just intended to help people who are going through similar issues. I do want to put up some immediate disclaimers. I am not a doctor. If you go through this personal health journey, I would highly, highly recommend that you chat with your physician or naturopath or whomever you seek guidance from. I'm just telling my story, what worked for me. That doesn't mean that this is the only way or that this will work for you. And I think even if you do follow this format, it's really, really good to chat with an expert. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a girl who went through something and was able to overcome the health challenge and that's it. So definitely I get DMs on this from YouTube, like people asking me, do they think it will work for them? Or like, what else could they be doing? And at the end of the day, I I won't dish out individualized health advice, because I feel like that's super problematic. I'm not a doctor, and I don't want to make a situation worse. However, I think this is something that more people than we realize face. And so I did want to share my experience and what happened. So Basically, what happened was I lost my period. And I think a lot of doctors are changing their minds on this. But there was a period of time where women losing their period wasn't looked on as being problematic or a really serious health issue. It was something that they figured eventually would come back and everything would be fine. But for many, many reasons, and I highly encourage you to read the research on that, uh, basically... It is not normal nor a good thing to not have your period. And there's a lot of reasons that you may be experiencing a loss of period or amenorrhea. And it's very important to look into the root cause. And I think a common misconception is that if you're on hormonal birth control and you have a period, you have your normal period. But actually the response that's triggered by hormonal birth control is not the same as your body actually having a period. So what that means is that your body creates a figmented period during the time in which you're taking the pill or whatever version of the hormonal birth control you're on. And so people can actually not be having their period, but also having a period. That wasn't my case. I don't take hormonal birth control. Uh, it's just always made me crazy. I really, I've tried many different brands. It just doesn't work for me. So that's not my individualized case. I just wanted to flag that because I think it's something most people don't know that would be really upsetting to come off, you know, 10 years on birth control, try to conceive and realize that you haven't had your period and you haven't been ovulating, right? That's not great, especially if you want kids. So Anyway, basically what happened was there is something called the female athletes triad. And what that is, is and this happens to a lot of professional athletes, is that their amount of energy is depleted because of how much working out they're doing and how much physical exertion. And so they don't have enough energy surplus, meaning food to keep all the lights on, I think is the most simple or simplistic way of me explaining it. So if you don't have enough energy availability, enough food, you're essentially working out more than you're taking in. You can be eating a large amount of food, but if you are a marathoner, for instance, or a professional athlete, you might not be getting enough nutrients, even though you're eating well above, let's say like a 2000 calorie diet. So that is basically what happened to me. I was over quarantine. I, you all know, I struggle with anxiety and I use working out as a way to clear my head. And it's really like a big practice of my mental health to be able to work out every single day. And, you know, in quarantine, there really wasn't a whole lot else going on. So I did army fitness test. I walked a marathon. I was running super long distances, like 
18, 20 miles on Sundays just because I literally had nothing better to do. And although I was eating a lot, you know, I was making cookies and eating pasta and I wasn't cutting out any food groups and I was following intuitive eating, which if you're not familiar, basically means that I eat everything and I eat it what I want when I want. So I am not on a diet. I don't say no to carbs, you know, like what we think of when we think of evil carbs, like I eat bread and pasta, I eat all those things. Uh, and I eat when I'm hungry and I don't deprive myself. So I thought that I was actually living like my best life, my healthiest life. (laughs) And I was working out a lot, but it wasn't, I don't know. I, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, Oh, well I'm eating a lot and yeah, I'm working out a lot, but I'm, I'm cool because I'm feeling, you know, pretty good. But then some things started to happen. Uh, what I would explain my period going off was, was like a fading. I've never heard it explained like that, but that's how it happened for me. So I would say from the time that I moved to New York up until quarantine, which was like about a year's time, I noticed that my period was fading. So historically I had always had a seven day. So sorry for my male viewers. I don't, or listeners. I don't know that this is particularly interesting for you guys. So uh, I mean, obviously stay on if you're interested, but I'm just realizing this may not be the most riveting information for my men, but I don't know, maybe your wife or girlfriend or somebody is going through this and, or you're a doctor. I don't know. Maybe you think this is interesting. Anyway, I basically, since I moved to New York, I started walking a lot. So I was walking over 10,000 steps a day, every single day. And it was easy because I was in a city, I would just walk to like yoga, I would walk to get my groceries, I would walk um, to meet up with friends to go out, etc. So I was always, always walking. And so my energy, the amount of energy exertion that I had, my output basically, was a lot higher than it had been in San Francisco, where I took Ubers a lot of the time because I was living in Soma in San Francisco, but commuting to Berkeley. So I would spend a lot of time in the car. I was in classes a lot. I was sitting down a lot. And so when I went to New York and I was constantly just, if you've ever visited pre-COVID, everyone's running around all the time. It's just part of how life is. So my energy expenditure went up and I was eating about the same amount that I had always been eating, maybe a little bit more. But basically, I wasn't fueling my body as much as I had been without realizing it. So I think I ended up losing a little bit of weight when I moved to New York, but it was nothing noticeable or I wasn't really planning or trying. It was just something I guess was happening. So simultaneously, what I noticed with my period was that it went from a super strong seven day period, which I've had my entire life, every, every month around the same time, seven days, I've always been like that. It doesn't matter what weight I'm at or how old I've been. That's just my norm. So when I moved to New York, I noticed interesting things happen. It would go from seven days to six days to five days to four days to three days. And then it would start jumping around. So maybe I'd have it on a Monday and then it would be gone on a Tuesday and be back on a Wednesday and then be gone on a Thursday. And then maybe be kind of there on a Friday. And overall, it was just a lot lighter. Like maybe day one was kind of normal, but the rest of it was super, super light, like maybe even more spotting, I guess. And so initially when it was shortened, shortened, I wasn't worried necessarily. It was kind of like, oh, that's nice. Like I don't have to worry about it as much. But then as it got shorter and shorter, I did start to worry a little bit because I don't know, as a woman who wants children at some point, not having a super strong period was kind of a weird signal. But again, it wasn't something I was really worried about because at the end of the day, like I think a period is quote unquote normal anywhere between like two and seven days. So I was technically still quote unquote normal, although it wasn't normal for me, which I think that would be like my number one piece of advice for somebody is if something's off for you, even if it's still in like the relative norm, it's probably worth paying attention to. It doesn't have to be your period, it could be any, any health thing. If something is, has been one way your entire life and then suddenly not that way, it's probably worth looking into. But I was busy. I wasn't really thinking about it. Like I said, there was part of me that was like, oh, it's kind of nice. So fast forward to quarantine, like I mentioned, was working out a ton and eating a good amount, but basically I just wasn't eating enough to support all the activities. So I completely lost my period, which was a huge wake up call for me and super scary, to be honest, because 
yeah, I want to be a mom. That's something that's super important to me. And I just want to make sure that everything in my, my body is running correctly. So I did get down to a pretty lean point. And as a note, you don't have to be underweight to lose your period. I think I did go underweight for a period of time. I'm no longer underweight. I'll talk about what I did. But uh, and I'm talking about the BMI, which is their body mass index, which is not a perfect science. And in fact, in the 90s, to qualify more people as obese, they actually bumped all the numbers into different categories. So what we see in today's world is actually manufactured for obesity reasons, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, that's a whole nother sidebar conversation. The most important thing I'm trying to say here is like by the medical standard, I was a little underweight. And so I hadn't realized that wasn't something I was aiming towards or anything like that. And I want to be very, very clear that I know that a lot of times with like eating disorders and things like that, it's uh, losing your period can be part of that. And I want to be very clear that like this was not an eating disorder and this was not um, this was not intentional. I genuinely thought that I was eating enough for my body but I wasn't. And so I had been watching Stephanie Buttermore and Abby Sharp. These are big YouTubers. And Stephanie Buttermore went through this whole quote unquote all in process. And she didn't necessarily lose her period, but she had something called extreme hunger where she was hungry all the time. And so she spoke with this doctor, Dr. Rinaldi, who's this renowned doctor in terms of helping women and athletes get their period back. And her measured success really goes into reducing exercise and increasing the amount that you're eating, but by a landslide. So it's not like a reverse diet where you might subtly increase your calories over a period of time. It's you go from eating what 15,000, sorry, 1500 to 2000 calories to like 5000 or 6000 or there's no cap, but you want to be eating as much as possible with I think the lower bounds being around 2,500 calories and not dipping below that, but there's no upper bounds, meaning you can eat until you're completely satiated. So the difference between what was going on with Stephanie and what was going on with me is I was not struggling with extreme hunger. Extreme hunger can happen oftentimes if you've lost a serious amount of weight and you your body is basically itching to get back to your quote unquote set point. And if set point theory is new to you, the theory is that your body should be within a certain range and it's really, really happy there. And if it goes out of that, like, let's say 10 pound range, like hypothetically, let's say you're five, four and your range is 120 to 130. Whenever you go above or below that, your body is going to input mechanisms to make you get back to where it's happy place. It's set point. And there's some theories to suggest that set points can change over time, but by and large, this is something that a lot of dietitians and things like that are super interested in. So the theory goes, if you drop below 120, let's say you hit 115, your body might become ravenously hungry and send lots of hunger cues and might not, not feel satiated because you're outside of that happy bounds, right? And so the hope is that those responses would encourage you as a human to eat more, to get into your set point, which is where your body runs best. Uh, so for me, the extreme hunger didn't kick in. And I think there's some reasons for hunger cues changing. And basically, if you ignore hunger cues, they stop sending them. So if the typical tummy growl doesn't elicit the response of your, of you eating, then sometimes your hunger cues can kind of get blunted, which I think is super interesting. And there's also lots of different types of hunger cues. Like for me, it's often when I can't make decisions, I'm feeling really frustrated out of nowhere, like hangry, basically, that's one of my biggest cues. Um, but I wasn't feeling super hangry or anything. So again, I thought that I was functioning well, and I was just really happy with my, uh, my relationship with food with intuitive eating, you know, I was eating everything, and I was feeling really good about it. Uh, because I had come from a history of dieting, and I and I have a podcast on that. But basically, I decided that it was super important for me to get my period back. And so I wanted to approach this all in journey, which is to eat a large surplus of calories. So I did that. I think I was eating around, I don't know, maybe 5000 calories ish 
a day. And I only did that for a couple months. Um, Stephanie's process was much longer than mine. I think it was over a year's time. And again, she was trying to fit, fix her extreme hunger. And what ends up happening, what ended up happening with her was that she gained a bunch of weight, obviously, um, went past her set point. And then once her body was feeling good and secure, her hunger really reduced. And so she went, she lost some weight and ended up back into her prime set point. Uh, so she basically was below it before this process, then she was above it during the process. And then she went into her ideal weight or set point thereafter, and she cured her extreme hunger. So I decided I was going to follow something similar. So the first thing I did was I reduced exercise. I didn't cut it out completely. I know Dr. Rinaldi is like a very, very big advocate for eradicating exercise altogether. But for me, my mental health was also something I wanted to balance. And when I don't work out, I don't feel good. But I did go from running, walking marathons and things like that and doing extreme army fitness tests to walking and running pretty much. And if I was going to do weighted exercises or anything like that, I would put a limit of about 20 minutes. So that might seem like a good amount of exercise to some of you all. Um, but just reminding you that where I came from was like working out many hours a day. <laughs> Again, because of quarantine, and I guess my lead up in New York, I was also just walking everywhere. So I had been super, super active. So for me, that was a big reduction. And then I upped the amount of calories that I was eating. So inevitably, I gained some weight, right? And I think that's the biggest question that I received post uh, my YouTube videos has been, you know, how did I feel about that weight gain and people being really scared to gain weight. And so I'm going to reiterate a point that I made on YouTube, which was that, look, do I like my body super lean? Yeah, I do. Is it hard to look in the mirror and know that you could look a little bit better? Sure. Uh, but I got to the point where I knew that my health was more important than aesthetically my preferred look. Uh, I only ended up gaining, I think, probably five or six pounds. I got myself in, back into a healthy, quote unquote, healthy uh, weight range, and my period did come back. Uh, so I want to take a pause to just say, if you're someone who's really, really terrified of gaining weight, I'm not here to diagnose anyone. But if you have a really low body weight, and you've lost your period, those are some symptoms of of eating disorders. And I, again, I'm not here to, I don't know what everyone's individual story is, but I get a lot of DMs of people really, really scared to gain weight. And I think that if that's you, it's super important to talk to a mental health professional. I would look for people who have a haze background, potentially. I think those are some of the more hip uh, dietitians in the space, but um, so you probably want to talk to a dietitian, you want to talk to a therapist, licensed therapist, obviously, maybe a good friend, and then also your doctor. Uh, because I think if you have this stuff going on, and it's coupled with a real fear of gaining weight, that there might be more going on than you're uh, aware of at the moment. So if I need to have a big cis moment with you, I would say definitely go talk to the people that can help you. Uh, you definitely want your period back. It's super important. Uh, like I mentioned, not having your period is not okay. And we've been taught that it's okay for some reason. But I don't know if that's, you know, a function of who's kind of at the top of the medical fields, which is often more of a, you know, I'm not going to like get a feminist political view here. But basically, it's, it's important. You should have your period. And if, if the weight gain is the primary reason you're not going to optimize your health, there might be stuff going on. And so I just want to highly encourage you guys to go talk with somebody. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to diagnose anyone. I don't know everyone's individual stories, but I see those messages come through and it like breaks my heart a little bit because I know that there are people who are probably suffering from some stuff. And I know that they're, you know, not optimizing their health for aesthetic reasons. So I hope that I can be a good example to show you guys that it is possible to gain weight and to get your period back. And again, I'm not going to sit here and cherry coat. What is that? Sugarcoat it. I don't know. Cherry coat. Where, where did that come from? Yeah. Some days I look in the mirror and I prefer what I looked like before, but 
you know, I was also lucky in the sense that I didn't have to gain a huge amount of weight. The amount of weight that you need to gain might be more or less than me or the same, but there's no way of me knowing or you knowing you're going to have to go through the process. Um, so where is my period today? So now I'm back to like what I would call the fading phase where it is back, but it's not the full seven days. So I haven't been eating as aggressively in a surplus, but I will be more uh, conscientious when I'm creating balanced meals, where in the past, maybe I wouldn't add quinoa, I would only have soup. Now I add quinoa, or maybe I wouldn't have a protein, I would just have some pasta, now I'll add the protein or some cheese on top. I just find little ways to bulk up all of my individual meals. And I find that that's working best for me, that I still continually have my period that I'm keeping on the weight that I gained, I'm not losing anything. And my period is back, but not as strong as I would like it to. So I think inevitably, what will happen is that I probably will need to end up gaining a few more pounds to get my full, beautiful seven day period back. But uh, that's not, you know, I'm not at that part of my journey yet. So I also want to talk about the fact that after you eat in such a surplus, my my interest in food is like negative at this point. And so I honestly feel like some days when I go to eat something, I'm like, I am not the least bit interested in what I'm eating. But I know, I know my body needs it. And I know that it's important. So I guess this is also a common part of the whole all in process. And this is something that Stephanie talked about actually recently. Uh, I think my video might have even gone up before hers, and maybe it was about the same time. So it was funny that we both talked about the same thing happening, which was like a total um, lack of interest in eating. And apparently that's super common because if you, uh, for her, for Stephanie, she was super fixated on food because she had this extreme hunger. And then once after eating a surplus for a full year, now she's like, oh, like I just sometimes I forget about food, like I'll leave it in like the air fryer or whatever. And I totally relate to that. You know, sometimes I like, oh, man, it's been a while. I haven't eaten anything. I should probably eat something. So uh, I think that's also a symptom of the fact that I started 1987. And you can find us on 1987 active on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook now begrudgingly did Facebook. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we are busy, which is awesome. And I'll do a whole nother episode, but I am just busy beyond belief with that company. So um, I think eating in general has just become very uninteresting. So it's kind of like every time I sit down to eat, I'm like, oh, I have to take a break to eat. You know, that's kind of my current mental state. But uh, I'm still working through it. And like I mentioned, what's working for me best right now is not to do such a big surplus, but rather just to bulk up every individual meal so that when I am sitting down and I am eating, instead of just eggs in the morning, I'll do eggs and avocado toast. So I just find little ways to add more food to everything. Um, some of the questions that I got on Instagram were whether or not I believe this was the only way to gain your period back. You know, I'm definitely not well equipped to answer that question. This is what worked for me. This is what Dr. Ronaldi, what kind of the premier person currently on this, uh, on losing your period and how to get it back. Uh, that's her primary method. It's obviously what Stephanie did. One of the bigger examples I can think of in current pop culture. So I don't know if a reverse diet or a slower rise in how much you're eating is going to help you. I, from everything I've read and known, my understanding is that the slow and steady increase won't be helpful. But Again, I am not a doctor, and so I would highly encourage you guys to speak to somebody who knows more about this. This is just from my personal experience. So anyway, I hope that this really helps you guys, the people who have lost their period or maybe are going through like the fading episodes that I went through, and or if you know somebody who's going through this, please encourage them to speak with a physician or listen to this podcast or ideally both. (laughs) And uh, yeah, let's just make sure everyone's getting healthy. And again, if you're someone who's really struggling with the thought of gaining weight, I would highly, highly recommend that you guys go talk to a therapist or a friend or somebody trustworthy to kind of open up about how you're feeling. And I really, really hope that this podcast helps people 
you know, this was a very personal podcast for me to put up, but I thought that even if it helps one person get their period back, that it was worth sharing. So thank you guys so much for letting me share this really like private side of my life. And uh, yeah, I love you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, this is Jen and welcome back to the All Things Jen podcast. I'm your host, Jen DeAngelis, and I'm two-time CEO, uh, UCLA alum, UC Berkeley Haas MBA, and the owner of the Active Wear brand, 1987. So yeah, let's chat. So if you all have been watching any of our stuff on 1987 Active, you should go follow us on TikTok and Instagram. I'm going to talk about how we grew about 4,000 followers across the two platforms in less than 12 days and how to come up with a scrappy marketing campaign when you might not have a large budget for the holidays as a new or early stage brand. So as a little bit of background, apologies for the OGs here who know all about 1987, but going to give all of our new listeners a little bit of a rundown. So 1987 is an ultra hip active wear brand and we do active loungewear. So our famous set is the Back Bay set. It's Boston inspired and we're also Boston based. So all of the clothing names are named after places in Boston and all the colors are typically vernacular that's used here like Wicked. So Wicked Smut is what people say sometimes. And so one of our colors is named Wicked. So we have these joggers and hoodies that are called the Back Bay set and those are our top sellers. They are very hard to get right now. Uh, we basically sold out of literally everything on the site. I think I have a few, maybe like two to three pairs of joggers and maybe six beanies at this point. We just released beanies that sold out in a few days, which has been crazy. So I want to talk about kind of how how we're doing this. And I think the easiest way to talk about what's happening with 1987 is to focus in on our particular holiday campaign that we started. And people keep asking me because 1987 is growing so fast. I mean, we really were launched maybe six weeks ago, maybe a little bit. I think we have a soft launch before then, but uh, about six weeks. So it's, we're very new and our sales are very good. Our consumer base is very, very invested and we get love notes all the time from people who want to work from a, work for us saying how much they love the brand, how they can't wait for the next drop, how they've told all their friends. It's We've created a lot of love in the brand so early on, which has been really cool. And I've given, people keep asking me why I think 1987 is doing so well or how we're kind of cracking. To be honest, most brands and early stage companies fail, right? So about, I think the statistic is something like 99% of entrepreneurs fail within the first year or something like that. It's crazy. So to, and, and to be honest, maybe we still could fail, right? Like who knows the world's weird, but generally we've had a very strong start. And I think most entrepreneurs slash even just people who are watching what we're doing and customers or friends uh, people I went to Berkeley with, they're all interested on how the heck we're getting such brand awareness and why do people love this brand so dang much so quickly? And I've given a lot of thought to this, but I think if I start talking about the campaign more specifically, then we can kind of parse out the ways that you can replicate what we're doing because at the end of the day, there's some timing, there's some luck, there's just hard work. There's basically 5 million different factors have to fall into place for something to work, for a company to work. And it's kind of a one in a million shot. And trust me, I've built other things like this, that whatever's happening here is magic. (laughs) And honestly, I don't even know how much of it to take credit for and how much of it is just some sort of like, universe divine intervention type of thing but basically we're kicking butt and I'm saying that as modestly as possible and I think part of it is that we've democratized so much of what we're doing so I go to our Instagram stories and I ask people what color they want what new things they want do they really want us to bring back thongs do they want um, beanies you know and I'm also crowdsourcing all my ideas like my cousin Hunter 
he's the one who said that we should do beanies and he's I texted him like you're a genius because we sold out of one color in two days and a different color the next day and have barely any I don't I don't I mean we don't have a lot but go get one if you want one um and so mainly I'm just utilizing other people to help us build a brand and I'm doing that because I don't have a big team and I do want to hear what what people want. And ultimately I think it's super simple. Why not just ask your consumer what they want versus sitting in a boardroom with 15 CEOs or CEO C-suite types, not CEOs, but you know, high level people debating what people want. Why not just go ask people what they want? And so my goal is to really create like the next big clothing brand and that's a, that's a lofty goal, right? We, we might get there, we might not, but that's, that's definitely where my head's at and where, what I want to do. And um, I think one of the most interesting things is how much people love the brand so early. And I really tried to figure out why that was. And I think part of it is that it's Boston inspired and people from Boston really want to support local and shop local. And I think that's also just a greater trend I think the fact that we have a good product, so once people actually get the hoodies and the joggers, they're obsessed with them. Like the, They're so soft. People have described them as feeling like a hug, <laughs> which is super cute and like the sweetest thing anyone could ever say. But um, I think you know the product's good, the marketing is good, and the Boston thing is good, and we've also just hit timing, right? So even though it's a pandemic, so people don't have as much disposable income, which is a, ne- a negative, the truth is that most people are living in sweats, but they want to look cute too, right? So if you're at home all day, you want to be wearing like really nice sweats. So I think people are willing to pay a little bit more for sweats that they feel super cute in. So I think that was a trend that was working towards or working for us as well is that loungewear is just popular right now. And then I think TikTok has helped immensely because the app is so geo-targeted that when I start to explain the campaign, you're like, Jen, just start talking about the campaign. You've teased it this entire intro. But uh, basically, we are using TikTok and we have grown a couple thousand, maybe 3,000 followers over this campaign or probably like 2,500 or something. I, I can't remember how much we had before the campaign, maybe a thousand. So let's say we grew 2000 over 10 days. It's a lot. Um, And I think the success there is that the app is so geo-targeted. And since we're in Boston, our our whole brand's about Boston, people see us come up on their page, their FYP, and they see that it's a Boston brand and they want to follow us. So I think that has really, really helped. Um, So I think TikTok is is absolutely a huge reason that we're doing so well right now. That's where a lot of our new customers are coming from and it's all organic. So as a new brand who who can't spend thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars during our uh, December ad buys, TikTok is a really, really useful platform for us because we're getting a lot of organic reach without having to pay for it. So if you're an entrepreneur, I'd highly recommend getting on TikTok for your business. But Anyway, let's, let's talk about this campaign. So basically, when I was running corporate social media for a lot of big brands that you know, uh, household names, we would always try to launch contests and things. And I felt like oftentimes things just didn't land. We would try to go, do cool stuff. And a lot of times people wouldn't actually participate. So but early December, I had this idea that I'm going to do a scavenger hunt, which I've since been told isn't really even the right terminology for what we're doing. But basically what I'm doing is I drop a hoodie or a jogger or one of our clothing items somewhere in Boston. And then I say like, hey, Seaport or hey, Back Bay, whatever neighborhood, today's your turn. Come and find this item. And whoever finds it first wins. So when I first placed the first hoodie, I thought it was going to be there all day because I had worked on so many campaigns that I knew the likelihood of getting people motivated enough to come out and get something was probably close to zero. So I had a very low bar slash just thought 
it would be there the whole day. Or if it did get picked up, it would just be a random person, not somebody who followed us and then saw the tip and then went to get the hoodie. That uh, the first one was gone in maybe 30 minutes. And I ran into people who had driven like 30, 40 minutes to come and find it or blue biked. And I got all these DMs like, it's already gone. And I was shook. I was shooketh. I could not believe how many people wanted to come and play. And I think that's a huge thing as adults. We do not play enough. We do not have enough fun. So I think especially with 2020, like I just want to see people play more. And since launching this whole thing, so basically after that, that was just supposed to be a one-day thing. And I came back and was thinking about it. And I'm like, dude, why don't we just do this more? (laughs) People are stoked about it. Why don't we do 12 days of giveaways? And it was such an impromptu decision, but I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, Jen, you're the CEO. Like, if you want to do this, just do it. So it was bringing joy to people. It was fun. It was, at that point, nothing had really gone like, quote unquote, viral, but yeah, people seem to really like it. So why not do 11 more? And then I started doing fun things. Like I saw that there was a long line at Trader Joe's. So I popped in and gave three people hoodies and said, you look cold. Here you go. And I surprised a mom at Boston Children's Hospital because her daughter was in the hospital for about three weeks and getting some procedures done. And she couldn't come and participate, so I brought the scavenger hunt to them. And we have some more surprises that I can't talk about yet because they're not up and live. But from there, I just started going to all the different neighborhoods, and the pickup times got so fast. Like, I'm not even kidding, five minutes. I don't understand how that's even humanly possible, but people were doing it. And it was crazy how many people got so excited about it and how many people the the initial person would get it and then so many people would tell me oh it's already gone it's already gone it's already gone so it's not like I just had five really enthusiastic fans it's like we had all these people who thought this was so fun and I started getting messages like 2020 has been such a hard year I've had trouble getting out of bed or feeling motivated and this has brought me so much joy and it gets me up and moving every day and I've just I got a message that said, I literally started jumping up and down when I found the package. Isn't that silly? But that is great. That is what I wanted the whole campaign to be about is just bringing joy, right? And bringing joy to everyone because man, hasn't 2020 been hard for everybody? And, you know, we got some pushback about who we were gifting to and things like that. Um, But we have been giving to homeless shelters in Boston and, um, one was a women's shelter and one was a kids shelter. So we've definitely been doing that in addition to all of these. And we've also been encouraging people if they get a hoodie, give a hoodie, if they get a jogger, give a jogger, right? We want this to be sort of a trickle down effect where hopefully people who are engaged in the campaign then go away and do something cool or nice for someone else. It's kind of like a pay it forward type of thing. Or even just on our giveaways, like our most recent one, I said, like, tag your bestie and tell them why you love them so much. And I I think for me, it's, again, like 2020 has been such a shit show. So I just wanted to be a little bit of light in, in everything that's going on, or not me, but just the campaign. And it's so fun to see how engaged people have gotten. And a few of our videos on TikTok hit about like 50,000 follower uh, views or 25,000 views. And so that's when we started to really gain momentum. And then as we grew on TikTok, we started growing on Instagram. And the next thing I know, I mean, we probably started the campaign with maybe like 500 Instagram followers, 500 TikTok followers. Now we have like 1,200 Instagram followers, maybe 3,500 TikTok followers. I don't know. I'm just ballparking those numbers right now, but that's an immense amount of growth. Uh, very quickly. And I think when you are a new brand, you have to be creative because you don't have the budget that you need to compete with other brands. And basically the way that Facebook advertising or Instagram advertising works is that it's kind of a competitive model. So the more people that are buying ad space, the higher the rates become, right? Because you're essentially bidding for space in other people's 
feeds. So the price for an ad during certain times is more expensive than other times, right? So if I run something maybe in the middle of July, barring it's not like 4th of July or something, it's probably going to be a little bit cheaper than December, which is sort of prime time. Everyone has a holiday campaign. Everyone's trying to promote said holiday campaign. So from my advertising background, I knew we weren't going to be able to do a really competitive ad buy. And so I wanted to do something that was more giveaway focused. And the reason that I wanted to do something that was giving was really, I, I want this brand to be so much more than a clothing brand. I want people to go to see what we're doing and want to go out and, and reach their goals, reach their dreams. Like that's really what it's about. And I know that probably seems weird, but I already receive a lot of DMs about how I've inspired people to start their own businesses. And I think, you know, ideally if 1987 is super successful, we have like really amazing intern programs and an accelerator type of venture capital arm to help seed and and fund other women-led businesses or diversified team businesses. But, you know, no, I, I believe that guys should absolutely be inspired by what we're doing and definitely need to figure out ways to do that as well. But, um, that's kind of where my head's at that I feel like people really, really love this brand and it's something that they're getting excited about and there's no time in which we all could use a little bit more excitement, right? <laughs> because we're in a global pandemic. So anything that brings us, sparks a little bit of joy, like we just, we want more of that. And the amount of people that watch our stories every day to see us drop hints. Uh, I got a comment the other day that said, I mean, part of your success has to be your stories. And I think the stories are successful because we're dropping hints as to where we're going to be hiding things. But we also are (laughs) just letting people into the whole process. I think so many young brands, they feel like they need to look super polished online. And that's not our vibe. Our vibe is very real. Like I want people to see themselves in me. I'm not wearing makeup most of the time. I'm sitting on my bed talking about some business decision. (laughs) And that's real life entrepreneurship. That's what it looks like. And I think if people can see me doing it and I'm just, you know, I'm just a girl sitting on my bed trying to figure some stuff out, letting people know when I've made mistakes. Like I've copped to the fact that, um, you know, we didn't have a delivery when we thought we were supposed to. So we made a shipping concession and things like that. So I think when young brands try to look like they're doing everything right and that they're this big brand, it doesn't really make people want to root for you. But basically, I've told people this whole idea came out of a breakup where I kind of hit rock bottom and I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. I was living with my dad for a minute because I didn't know where I wanted to be. And I think that really is so relatable in a way, right? Because everyone's had heartbreak. Heartbreak is universal. And so letting people in on my journey and and the company journey is, I think, what initially sparked so much interest in what we were doing. And one of the first videos that did super well on TikTok for us on our 1987 account. Um, I think me having my own presence on TikTok has also benefited um, as well. But I don't think that you necessarily needed one to start to start a brand one that does well. Uh, So I think, you know, there's obviously so many things that I want to do better. The fact that we don't have anything to sell right now is a big effing problem. And I'm really beating myself up about it. I I was like, I should have forecasted that Black Friday would have had such big sales. And, you know, the fact that we're going to holiday season and we don't have anything to sell. I mean, of course, that's kind of the best case scenario problem for an entrepreneur, but that still very much is a problem. And I'm trying to get, you know, new sweats in and or we're bringing out like a new waffle set and everything and men's hoodies, men's wear has been so highly requested. I had no idea. So we're working on that. And yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, trust me, we're making so many freaking mistakes. It's unreal. But uh, at the, I think people are more willing to see a less produced less produced content during the holiday season because it feels so real because it is so real, right? And it's not some intern going out and hiding it. Like I'm the CEO of the company and I'm literally running around Boston hiding shit, you know? That's kind of fun. It's fun to see that. 
And so I think one thing that we've also done well with is brand alignment. So we've also partnered with other small young brands that were limit women led. Uh, so intention is one and then Revy is another. And we also have brand alignment with a, a local podcast that's here in Boston and we are going to be part of some of the different like organizations that are running things. So I think brand alignment at an early stage is super important. So what types of outside partnerships where cross promotion can really benefit? I think the one between attention, which is a pre yoga supplement that it, so it's basically has like mushrooms and adaptogens and it's protein, like high in protein, uh, that cross promotion really helped both of us because our audiences were really similar, but they didn't know each other. So I think that was one of the best ones that we've done so far. And I know both our, both of our accounts benefited from that. So that was really cool to see. And I would just say the amount of contest entries that we've had on that one. And then also our most recent like BFF one, I think we had about 300 contest entries or over 300 with intention and close to 200 on our most recent posts just from a brand having run so many brands social media accounts I can tell you that's a lot obviously there would be other contests that have more entries but for such a young brand that's really good engagement so I don't know if the BFF one did so well because people just genuinely wanted to tell their friends why they loved them or people just really love our sweats that much <laughs> I don't know uh hopefully a little bit of little column a little column b but um, so I, th- I think when we're thinking about holiday campaigns as a young brand, you have to think guerrilla marketing. You have to think outside the box because you cannot compete with ad dollars the way that larger brands can. So whether that's producing a really cool video or campaign or giving back or b- brand partnerships, you have to do something a little bit different for it to work. And I still can't tell you why this has done so well because I've tried very similar things with other brands. But I think at the end of the day, people love the product and people want the product. So people were willing to get out of bed to come and do it. And also it's COVID, so people don't really have much better things to do anyhow. So I guess maybe that worked in our favor. But I I think when you see other brands doing things well, know that there's always a little X factor. I can reverse engineer why certain things worked but when I sat down on the floor I remember just sitting there and being like that worked so well like why don't I do that more you know it's just kind of like a split second intuition thing and it wasn't something that I had a full strategic plan in my mind and I didn't know that that was going to do as well as it did so I think also there's just some trial and error like some things that we do work really well and some of these things don't but I think when you have good traction when something is working leaning into whatever is working is what makes the most sense so in my case realizing that the package the first package went so fast and all the interest in getting the package made me realize that we should do more of those, right? As opposed to saying like, oh, well, that did well, and I'm glad we did that well, and now we're moving on. So I think early days in entrepreneurship, you have to pivot and you have to lean into the traction wherever you're getting it. And so I think that would be kind of the number one piece of advice that I would have for entrepreneurs or people who want to launch their own businesses is you don't always know what's going to work and you might have an idea of what you want to work but that's not always what happens so be open to the possibility of one of the 15 million things you're trying really working well and don't be afraid to double double up (laughs) or triple up (laughs) in our case 12 exit Um, and so I think that's that's big but I, I would also say that the holiday season everyone gets a little gushy during the holiday season and Let me just say that giving back has always been a huge part of what I've done and what I've wanted to do, why I'm on social media and want to be a positive role model. That's my North Star in terms of being a quote-unquote influencer. And so my brand, I think it's the North Star here is cool as fuck, and I think giving is super cool. So I'm not doing this just to gain followers or just to make sales. Like I genuinely just wanted to make the world a little bit brighter in my own small, tiny way. And people really, I think we don't give viewers enough credit for how astute they are when they can sniff out someone being genuine and somebody being not. 
And I see this happen all the time with bloggers where they'll go through kind of like a dip mentally for whatever reason. And so many of their fans catch on like, hey, are you okay? Or like, you don't really seem to be liking doing this anymore. And I think we don't give people enough credit for knowing when things are real and when things are not. And I think that most of the people who watch what we're doing right now can see that I'm just a girl trying to do some good (laughs) and I'm trying to build a cool company. And I think people see that and they want to help. And I think the outpouring of support is, is really based on how genuine I just want to build a cool company that's doing all the things right, you know, and we're not doing everything right. For instance, size inclusivity, I would love to do that better and or <laughs> at all. I would love to do extra small to extra large or even well beyond that in, in 2021. Um, but there are some things that are just not feasible. So when that is financially feasible, that, that definitely will be something that we do. And bringing in a diversified team and so on and so forth. There's so much that I want to do, but ultimately I just want to build a company that I think like the hip generation wants, like the next generation of kids, they want to see cool stuff from an inclusive brand. And I think what makes us cool AF and exclusive is the fact that we are inclusive, if that makes sense, and that we've democratized all of, all of the decision making so that like everyone is really building this brand with us. And when we win, everyone wins. And I think that's a really, really unique offering. And I didn't position that all... Uh, my friend Danya kind of helped me work through that what I just said. So thanks to her for giving me some positioning ideas on, on how to explain what we're doing to other people because sometimes it's hard to put into words why what we're doing is working and what we actually are doing and why we're doing it. So I want to build a responsible brand and I want to build I want to build a badass brand that people are super proud to wear. And I think people are already and I just want to continue to make good decisions on a strategic level that allows us to be the brand that everybody wants us to be, you know, and get better and better because we're not doing everything right, but I want to do everything right. So yeah, that's it. I don't know if that was helpful, but uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it and definitely follow us on 1987 active on Instagram and TikTok and also Jen DeAngelis on Instagram and then Jen with two N's DeAngelis on TikTok. Talk to you guys next week.